you go to Mount Shasta and talk about the high vibrational beings there. And then look, with remote viewing data, we've seen that the, that strange reptilian beings have burrowed themselves into there. I mean, it's the same dang story. It's the same thing. Lovecraft had a greater mission than just writing fictional books where he, he was very much on top of and reading many of these things and was releasing things to the point where you have whistleblowers that had come out and the I don't even want to name these people because it's too much. But, you know, the evidence is there. It's always been there. It's just that people refuse to believe. And that is the question, though. Why? Why cover up this stuff? Why? Why is it so important to bury that out of the mind of humans and to socially, mentally engineer it out of people? Why? You bring up giants, it's like you just get laughed at. Famous quote that he he says, um, millionaires don't believe in astrology, billionaires do. You know, when you get to JP Morgan too, you know, the whole funding around Edison versus Tesla. Oh, geez. It's like like the direction of civilization. Like he determined a specific direction for aspects of civilization. In our last episode in this series on the mysteries of Mount Shasta and Lemuria, we talked about the eminent professor Edgar Larkin, who used a telescope to see Lemuria with his own eyes. Between the 1932 LA Times article we found reporting on Lemurians meeting with townspeople, then Larkin's findings, plus what John Remote viewed about the whole situation, there was a lot to talk about. And it led us right into the next topic, which is the occult lore on Lemuria. What do Rosicrucians believe about the Lost Continent? What references in literature and history left behind strange information? When you hear what we found about ancient Rome, J.P. Morgan, H.P. Lovecraft, and more, you're going to wonder why we never hear about this esoteric history in our textbooks. So join John and me, investigative researcher Rob Counts, for a show that's out of this world. And if you're listening to us, this metaphysical podcast, or watching us on any video platform, go ahead and just leave us a five-star review. We can really, really use that. It helps us spread. Make sure you also like and subscribe wherever you are and hit that bell for updates. We have all of these Rosicrucians and Masons who are, you know, like these people that are in the Rosicrucians and the Masons are usually high society folks. They don't come out and talk about the stuff that they actually believe. Right. Well, you know what? Those that part of society, the, the the slightly more elite part of that society, our society can believe in that stuff. But the rest of you no, you can't believe in it. Yeah, you're you know? crazy if you believe in it. Right. Right. Which is a funny thing, because, you know, I think that they've been heavily involved in general in the Mount Shasta area. Um, they would have to be. Yeah. Dude, California is like a like it's like a walled off fortress. It's weird. Right. It's like, and what I mean by that is it's how much money you have to live to live in California. Of course, there's tons of people that live in California. It's our most populated state, right? But when you get to the nice areas of California, it has the most expensive real estate in the entire country easily. Yeah. I mean, every dinky house that's one floor is like $1.5, $2.5 million right. to own that house. You're never going to pay that off, right? Your only hope is is making good on the mortgage and then and then selling it for more than you paid for it. I mean, that's right. literally it, you know? Yeah. The mortgage is going to be like six to 7000 a month. I mean, it's right. just, it's crazy, you know? Yeah, yeah. 
probably yeah. more. But um, but yeah, so California is a really interesting place. Like, and it's the most beautiful state in the country, easily. I mean, the only state that could be more beautiful, arguably, is Hawaii, and that's a very small island. But California is just amazing, and it has every type of climate in there, and it's just it's massive, beautiful, beautiful state. So it would make sense that a lot of these folks live, especially in that area, and are trying to figure out what's going on and have a little piece of that, you know, mm -hmm. in their lives, right? Back to this guy, Wishar Serve or Her Harvey Spencer Lewis. So he was reportedly initially interested in the paranormal phenomena and part of a group that investigated and exposed fake psychic mediums, right? So he would be one of these guys along with... Um, you know, Houdini and stuff that was trying to expose what was really going on with these spiritualist groups because they were taken mm -hmm. over everywhere. And uh, he became the president of the New York Institute for Psychical Research then and then found Rosicrucianism. And he created Rosicrucian Park in San Jose in California where there's a Rosicrucian Egyptian museum. And it's the fifth planetarium in the U.S. It's got an Egyptian-style temple there, a science lab, and more. And he also traveled to Egypt, invented some devices, and did a demonstration in 1916 where he appeared to transmute zinc into gold via alchemy. Some weird stuff. That is weird. St. Germain was said to have um, been able to transfer gold and or, um, other substances like lead into gold and stuff like that. There's been a lot of people searching for a way to do that. Every king in the entire world would be interested in alchemy for that purpose to create treasure from nowhere. Yeah, you know? right. The whole alchemy, alchemy thing. It, I always took that to, to be an internal process as opposed to external. Which I believe sure. you are correct on. Yeah. I would agree. Yeah. yeah. Holy grail, all of that. Right. Internal alchemical process for enlightenment as opposed to what turning lead into gold. I don't know. A metaphorical. That's what I always took it as. But we've never looked into that uh, with remote viewing. So yeah. And maybe maybe, you know, because there's a lot of stories we could get into on that, like John D. Um, right. very interesting. And there was a lot of weirdos that set themselves really close to these kings or queens in these different areas um, <clears throat> that that was their whole life was doing stuff like that. Right. Um, and probably as a partly as a muse for the king or the queen who, you know, was just interested in someone looking into these otherworldly things. Right. I mean, when right. you're dealing with politics and stuff going on with your people all the time, that's actually probably a nice break. I mean, who knows how much a part of it is that and, and trying to gain treasure, but. Okay. So there was this interesting thing that we found here on Amazon where uh, one of Ward's ancestors commented on um, on his book on the Amazon and he read it because they were related basically just to see what was going on and, and this person claimed that Ward was oddly associated with the Rosicrucian order um, at least in its uh, publishing ventures but claimed to be the follower of Islam from his early adult years and some of that spirituality got mixed into his understanding. Um, now, James Ward wrote in the Rosicrucian Digest in 1931 about suspended animation. It's pretty interesting. The power of suggestion through belief, knowledge, contemplation, concentration, visualization, mediation, and realization. 
And he claimed he and only four other American born men could penetrate the whole universe and become one with the universal spirit and work with it. Yeah. Great start <laughs> for someone yeah. trying to make spiritual progress. Yeah. Okay. So the guy dies. Um, this is very interesting. I mean, these numbers just, they just scream of a cult here. So he died on January 13th, 1933. So hmm. one thirteen thirty-three, which is a very, that is a, that's jam packed with uh, right. occult influence. That number itself. 13 um, relates to the Knights Templar. Um, they were, they were killed on Friday the 13th. This is where Friday the 13th being bad luck comes from. And um, to this day, um, they are still trying to ha have revenge for Jacques Dumoulet, who, who was who was killed by the king at the time. Um, anyway, they um, very strange that that he died on that day. And um, the Rosicrucian website obituary described James Ward as a grand council member studied medicine in Europe, studied the mystery schools and scientific academies in India and known as a miracle worker for healing patients and was a major in the medical corps of the U S army was an attorney, prosecuting attorney, uh, blah, blah, blah. So he was actually a schoolmate with Herbert Hoover's vice president. So these guys are all, you know, very much. I mean, they're, high level into this stuff like Rosicrucian order, a lot of Masons talking about Lemuria as well. Mm -hmm. And they have a lot of money, I guess, fun sort of things to see if they can figure things out for their own purposes um, as well as get the relics. Um, you know, when JC Brown had perished, you know, you know, J.C. Brown was the guy mm -hmm. that found the, the, the mummies in the cave, which he thought were Lemurians, king and queen of Lemuria. Which um, we covered in a, a few episodes ago, guys. So if you haven't watched that episode, highly recommended. Uh, yeah, Lemuria. definitely recommended. He was he was taken out by one of these secret societies. Hmm. Well, and so what's so interesting about that is, OK, we're talking about when was it that he was that he was taken out? It would have been in the 1930s, I think. Right. So it's 1930s. There is arguably, there's so much less surveillance at the time right. going on. And we're talking about J.C. Brown revealing to people that there is a lost tunnel. And then all of a sudden, he's followed and taken out by a group of guys, which means that there is some type of surveillance going on in the area. How much of that is still going on? I know. It's just interesting. It's bizarre, right? Like, a group of guys show up to us. You described this in your data, right? Like yeah. a group of guys show up at his hotel, basically take him out and then um, bury his body. Essentially. It's not They're, because they wanted it and wanted to find it. It's because they wanted it to stay hidden. Exactly. It. it didn't matter what riches were in there. The information had to stay hidden. Why though? That's so weird. I still Why like that. Yeah. Like you'd think that they would want to go in there for themselves but there's something else going yeah, but on. How are you, what are you going to do with that stuff? Literally. Okay. Let's just say you have all the money in the world to begin with. You find evidence of a lost culture. You already know that 
you can't fence that stuff on the black market necessarily for the price that it's actually worth. You can't let that stuff out be known because we're supposed to stay in a specific narrative. So how, what are you going to do with it? You've got, you've got spears that have a memory metal that, that flip back into place. You've got old ancient tablets with some kind of unknown writing on it. I mean, if this stuff goes out into the public, you've got mummies that are, you know, 10 feet tall. If this stuff goes into the public, the public has questions. So what are you going to do with it if you pull it out? Who are you going to sell I, it to? I, well, I, I don't know. You're going to melt it down? Well, no, but I would imagine some of these, like, look at J.P. Morgan. Like, he collected everything that he, who knows what was in his collection. Who knows? So, yeah, talking about J.P. Morgan, we know there have been rumors that was interested in astrology. And actually, I think it's more than a rumor, just based off of his quotes. It would allude to him being interested in astrology and the occult. Uh, but we, we definitely f found that confirmation because in 1926, the New York Times reported on an astrologer who said she regularly read Morgan's horoscope for him, you know, explaining the changing position of the planets and their uh, probable effects on politics, business and the stock market. J.P. Morgan even invited this astrologer, Evangeline Adams, to visit Asia for a scientific investigation of the occult, whatever that means. And if you'll believe this, Evangeline said that three successive presidents of the New York Stock Exchange constantly consulted her for information that would guide their operations. And, you know, J.P. Morgan has that famous quote that he, he says, um, millionaires don't believe in astrology but billionaires do basically right effect, right 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 yeah. and um i visited his mansion in new york city which is a museum now and it is just full of ancient sumerian um artifacts and right. uh, you know all kinds of like you know those scrolls the the cylindrical scro scrolls and things and just a, like he was highly interested in 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 these different cultures. And what's funny is Disney actually based the eccentric character who funds the hunt for Atlantis in their movie off of J.P. Morgan. And these occultists and theosophists like Blavatsky and rich people were all hunting for Atlantis, Mu, Lemuria. And then, you know, you've got other people, too, who started to hunt for it that were more right. fairy as well right right i was thinking a lot about you know culture back in the late 1800s early 1900s in the united states at least where <clears throat> there was there weren't very solidified theories in the public consciousness about certain things and so it allowed a lot more like public exploration speculation and speculation and exciting new things happening like you know when you get to blavatsky and you get to the idea of lemuria and there being a lost continent and atlantis and stuff i think that i think that people would play with it a little bit more than in the public realm because things weren't so tightly controlled around 
thinking as they are today, even or, though or around think, or around findings. I mean, look at the guys, yeah, right. the guys that exposed originally that Lemuria and Moo would be a thing. Like, I don't even think that's possible to happen now. Right. No, it's it's yeah. not possible now. It's just not. I think these I, these ideas were so exciting to people that I that, that that the general public would even you know jump into it. Also, it's like when you get to Theosophy, it's it's like this was such a new idea because it was pulling the East into the West into occult stuff, like mashing everything together into one. And it was like the first time that a lot of people in the Western world began to hear about Eastern practices and the mysticism of the East and the, like the, the deep, deep mystery of it. It really paved a path, I think, for a different type of thinking at that point in time that got shut down. Not that, you know, I mean, there's good things about it and there's bad things about it. But I think that ultimately it just opened people's minds up to a new to new possibilities. And JP Morgan and these guys, you know, they ran with it and they had the money to be able to uncover some of these things and get the relics, take take information and then stick it in their own back pocket in their vault. Right. You know, when you get to JP Morgan, too, you know, the whole funding around Edison versus Tesla. Oh, geez. It's like it's like the direction of civilization. Like he determined a specific direction for aspects of civilization on the surface when it came to getting money from people. We can get money with Edison's idea and ideas, but not necessarily with Tesla. So let's go with Edison. Yeah, I mean, there's still a bank that's named after him. And I mean, let's be honest, everybody knows that that Monopoly guy was modeled after JP Morgan. Right, exactly. And so it's like, so that's like the surface level culture that we see now. But what about under the surface? Like, what about the things that he found about Moo or whatever, Atlantis, yeah. uh, about ancient Sumerian culture and how that was related to it, that, that, that never made it to the surface that he kept undercover. I mean, you saw back then too, you know, that the, the Smithsonian was interested in burying the whole giant thing. So direction of culture he was involved well, with. So, so you got to have a connection to the elite, you know, when you sell it to the, the elite behind the scenes, there's but that's um, what I'm saying. like, it's just, it's mysterious that they will, I imagine that they would do this with a lot of things, maybe even some bizarre things, but you know, then with something like this, they just want it to stay hidden. It's more, it's, it's so much more convenient for it to stay hidden than to even open that. That's what it is. Really. You know, it's way more convenient for it to stay hidden. Well, look at, look at, look at what the, okay. So during the depression in the United States, depression era, the, the Smithsonian institution in classified ads across America basically put an ad out that said, do you need a job? Help us dig up the mounds of America so we can catalog everything in them. So you had tons of people flocking to these locations to try to work, to have a job because people didn't have jobs. They couldn't eat to work with the Smithsonian. They use that in order to dig out the mounds of America. And so that's really when all that stuff went away and disappeared. They dug it all up. They paid people to dig them all up at that yeah. time because they could get really cheap labor. And that's when they erased that bit of history. So it's like, it is easier for you couldn't hide the mounds of America. Eventually people were going to dig them up. So it's like they needed some kind of like thrust across the board to just get rid of these things. And then it's much easier to just 
you know, blow part of the mountain that J.C. Brown found the cave in so that nobody could ever reach it. Way, way easier than to clean it out. Well, and, and you know, this is more sensitive than an ancient um, civilization because this would be giants that were revealed that right. existed. And so the, the giant stuff tends to get hidden rather ferociously because that would blow. I mean, that would provide evidence that there of biblical references that are in there. It would, it would allude to a lot of things that science is calling um, impossible. Um, evolution would have to be looked at again, very closely. A lot of things that have been structured around what people now believe yeah. would become what's called problematica. Um, yeah, so if you guys haven't read the book forbidden archeology, span I highly recommend it. So forbidden archeology span talks about, you know, this idea of problematica and all the things that have been found up to today that scientists couldn't accept and would just put it into this bucket. Right. I mean, it's, it's actually a really simple thing to go through all that stuff because a lot of it is publicly available information and, and, and become absolutely convinced that our world history is not what they say it is. And it doesn't take anybody telling you. It takes you just stepping out and researching these things and thinking logically about them. It's all it is. So, you know, the evidence is there. It's always been there. It's just that people refuse to believe. And that is the question, though. Why, why cover up this stuff? Why, why is it so important to bury that out of the mind of humans and to socially, mentally engineer it out of people? Why? You bring up giants. Well, it's, it's like again, you just get laughed at. Yeah, it's like you bring up giants and you get laughed at, but somehow these elites are like cool with just talking everyone's ear off and like discussing Lemurians. It doesn't right. add up, actually. It's kind no, of weird. It right. And and there's so many references to the original reason why Lemuria, the word Lemuria was coined was because lemurs were found in, in a few different places. And and, and these um folks that had found evidence of this realize that, that these continents must have been together at some point. Okay. So Lemurian, the idea of this idea, uh, this name Lemur or Lemuria comes in part from this, but there's been some other areas where there's some interesting things, like some other references in history, like literature and ancient Rome. I, f I found some really weird things. In fat and Faust uh, by a guy named uh, Goethe. That's how they pronounce it over there. But it looks like it's spelled Goth in English. But anyway, Goethe. So a gang of lemurs, which is a species of monkey, okay, but was also the name for a type of ghost, are under the supervision of the demon Mephistopheles and work at digging Faust's grave in this. And this is a very occult book. I mean, it's referenced a lot. Let's put it that way, because the whole idea around Faust was making a pact with the devil. Right now, um, in ancient Rome, lemurs were considered restless spirits of the dead who were frightening or troublesome and had to be appeased. They were associated with larvae or evil spirits. According to some sources, Dying without a surviving family would create an evil lemur ghost. Those who had died prematurely were also trapped on Earth until their allotted lifespan was up. Until they're uh, basically in 
including victims of murder and violent death, executed criminals and drowning victims. So if you died unnaturally, I guess you could say before your time was up, you could turn into one of these. Now, because some lives that had died prematurely were unable to enter the underworld, the afterlife or earthly life, the spirits became spiteful and harmful to people having intense loneliness and feeling neglected. And these lemurs were pacified or exercised each year at a festival in ancient Rome called Lemuria. And the three days of the festival were May 9th, May 11th, and the 13th. The temples were closed, no marriages were allowed, and ceremonies were performed. So this, this Lemuria festival, plus other ceremonies in May, created a superstition that it was unlucky to marry in the month of May, which really still is a thing now. Weird. I thought it was like, I thought this whole thing was around Remus, Remus, who was the, uh, was the, um, Remus was the werewolf. Well, he was the co-founder of Rome, right? Killed by his brother Romulus, Romulus and Remus. And then, and then the whole, uh, it used to be called Remuria, like the festival and not Lemuria. And, and a lemur was a uh, Rima. Remer or whatever Remus, who was the ghost of Remus coming back to mess up, mess people up, you know, mess his brother up or whatever. And then it got weirdly changed into lemurs and Lemuria. I mean, that's what I thought it was. It may, it may be. Yeah, it's, but it all originated with Remus, Romulus's well, brother, who was yeah, and sometimes um, and sometimes these these um letters get get changed but the but yeah it is it is interesting that you know we have some of this in in history right i don't know when did that change to lemurs and lemuria that's so weird like how could you change that to lemuria i just don't I get really, it that is very, I don't very weird it could yeah. also be you know that um i mean l's and r's in different languages sound right really different and so sometimes when they're getting translated they're using a sound instead of the actual letter because it sounds more like that so it's possible that that happened and it's funny because at what point did was there a meeting where they discussed just hiding all of this stuff because between 18 80 or whatever and 1940 a lot of stuff especially in the 30s a lot of stuff was coming out a lot of new things were being found i mean everyone was excited about all of these things and then 1950s hit and it was just like 50s 60s it just kept getting more and more like right. about technology less hearing about these things it was right. it was a lot more frowned upon you know, I mean, we had major things happening in the night in the early 1900s. We had, you know, UFOs like Roswell. I mean, all kinds of things happening. And it was very quickly, it seemed that a strategy was created to. Yeah, just to figure out a way to keep these things more contained. Right. Rather than to allow the human the human spirit of 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 just curiosity to kind of flourish in the right. United or around the world, really, not just the United States. The United States was the center of a lot of these things and, and not even the findings, but just the curiosity, I think. I mean, look at that article, that Lemurian article, some of these 
articles we're going to be pulling up over the next couple of episodes are very, you know, very interesting. And this stuff leaked into probably some of the most influential books on the horror side of things are definitely mm-hmm. the books that Lovecraft have written. Every photo of him, I feel like he looks like a defiant little child. Like, <laughs> no, what's going on there? Really doesn't want to sit. Like he's being told by his parents to sit there, and he doesn't want to do it. Right. <laughs> so Lovecraft basically um, referenced a lot of Churchward stuff on on Moo. I mean, so the first human beings inhabited Moo although some say it was Lemuria, and he hinted that there could be a connection between the two continents, right? And uh, it was uh, Lovecraft that called people from Mu, Muvians, and he said that they uh, were, you know, this is his books, they're fictional books, right? But we're just kind of going through these. (laughs) So he said that the Muvians worship the ghastly, I don't know how to say this, Getanotha, Gatanathoa, thank you. A gigantic abomination whose appearance is so hideous, anyone who gazes upon it or its image is petrified into a living mummy. So this is similar to Medusa, actually. It's a hellish god or patron demon brought to Earth in prehistoric times by aliens. They built a colossal fortress atop a mountain in the lost continent of Mu and sealed Gatanathoa below it beneath a vast trap door. So when humans arose after the departure of the aliens, they too worshiped the monster out of fear of its frightful power, offering sacrifices lest it emerge from its crypt and wreak havoc. So it sounds like the Kraken a little bit too. Lovecraft, very creative, weird guy. Between 18,000 and 10,000 BC, the Movians were enslaved by extraterrestrial creatures led by Gatanathoa. And at some point in history, the people of Mu waged war against the Atlanteans. Like, it's all of this stuff that I think a lot of these folks, these elite folks are interested in, all written into fictional books. But it's what's strange is not that someone would create fictional stories from this, but more how much it's being pushed in society even up until today. Right. And the interesting thing about Lovecraft is that while I don't think, I mean, he really took license. He took the he took these little nuggets from that time period of what people were talking about in the more esoteric realm, and just ran with it into his his like the darkness within him. And so I don't like when you get into some of his stuff. It's just so way way out there that i don't think that there's a lot of reality in a lot of what he wrote except for these he took these nuggets and then expand maybe maybe there was but man some of it's just so so out there um you know i i i i don't i think we're gonna need to do a show just on lovecraft because i don't after the research the initial research that i've done i was really hoping that it would be fictional. But the more I look into this guy, the more I'm finding connections to Middle Eastern writers and authors that we're talking seriously about these things. And the more I'm finding that the occult, some of the folks in the occult corners of the world very much were taking these things very seriously. 
and not just the well more well-known ones like Aleister Crowley. It's become a thing to, to the so point he's where like digging up the world of demons and monsters and then and well, OK, so that's I, coming out of the occult and then much in the same way that uh, Tolkien was taking from uh, historical documents that he claimed or that yeah. that we assume or that he allegedly was taking from the Oxford Library. It seems that Lovecraft had a greater mission than just writing fictional books where he he was very much on top of and reading many of these things and was releasing things to the point where you have whistleblowers that had come out and the I don't even want to name these people because this is too much but in the in the you know late 1970s in the 80s who were claiming that these demons that had been talked about in these Lovecraft books were specifically used in some of these occult rituals which is very bizarre like why call upon Yog Sethoth in a 1960s movie, uh, like what was that movie called? The the, the Dunwich Horror, right? Where it's like that movie. Have you seen the Dunwich Horror? Who, yeah, yeah. Who was that directed by? Too Dunwich Horror. Was well, that's the by. whole thing with with Lovecraft is that what came first, the chicken or the egg? Like, because his stuff gets so incredibly astounding and outlandish. That was he. Was he? how much did he shape it versus how much did he it shape him? Obviously the director, the writers of the Dunwich horror are taking from a bunch of different things to create this. Okay. But what's, yeah. Oh, that's That's the director right there. <laughs> Make it go that? away. It's the director of the Dunwich horror. Oh. Um, <laughs> Daniel Haller. Uh, you know, obviously they're pulling from, from, from some of these fictional things. But when a whistleblower comes out and says, oh, it's basically like the rituals that they have are very similar to the ones that were in the Dunwich Horror, where now you have, it's almost like an out where he, they're you're taking something from fiction and something from real life and you're putting them together and creating a story out of it, which looks ridiculous. But then whistleblowers are coming out saying like, no, this is actually what they do. <laughs> People are going through these rituals or these things. And then you're like, well, right. this is really weird. And then that whistleblower ends up you know getting offed very mysteriously but back to the subject here which is lovecraft there's no way he could be referenced as much as he is by guys like alistair crowley and all these people without there being something right it's like even with helena blavatsky i do think she was a con artist but I, I also really think that she was taking from stuff that she had seen and experienced and trying to do her own thing mm -hmm. with it because of her ego right. or whatever it was. So where did that stuff come from? And then you have Masons and Rosicrucians crazy about Lemuria. They're constantly looking at this. They have a lot of money. You know, they're pointing their telescopes at out there and looking at things. And it's all being revealed in these in these fantastic articles. And then all of a sudden, after the 30s, it all gets just like quieted right. down. Yeah. And, yeah. and hey, maybe maybe it was like, oh, maybe they saw. OK, I'm just trying to hypothesize here. Right. Maybe they saw how hard Hitler was looking for these things. And they were like, we need to quiet all of this stuff up. Otherwise, we're going to have more people looking for this stuff. I mean, it's possible because I would say most of what Hitler was trying to do was much more of an occult um mission-based thing than it was a socio-political thing based off of how insane he was about looking for these relics, trying to obtain this power, putting all of these like 
economic resources into those things. He's over in Antarctica. He's over. He's all over the world. He's traveling to Tibet. This is weird, weird, weird stuff. I tend to think personally that no, no government is that governments are basically under one umbrella, whether those governments are opposed to each other publicly or not, whether there's a war between two countries or not. My perception is that there's one umbrella that holds them under one control point. And, and it could be that a lot of that had to do with uncovering that through wartime, through a wartime by, the, by people that were in control behind the scenes and pushing that in order to, you know, I don't know. It's, it's a difficult subject to talk about because it gets very, very um, touchy. But I do think that a lot of what he was trying to dig up might not necessarily have been just for him. No, I, I agree. I agree. And this is what it's like. We have to talk around it. (laughs) It's why it's such a, such an interesting rabbit hole when you start talking about Lovecraft is because it's, it's again, it's taking real things and potentially putting them into a fictional base into a fictional place. Right. That's what he was doing. Yeah. And then, but then you've got this strange cult around his work you know, well, that's the and- thing I've never understood. Like, see, this is the chicken or the egg thing. Like, <laughs> did it form Lovecraft or did Lovecraft form it? Because people refer back to Lovecraft, which is so bizarre to me. So, yeah, it's bizarre. But then again, the connections that this guy had, we're going to have yeah. to have a very well produced episode. Right. On we're going to have to do that. Too weird. And dude, one of the things where I was like, okay, something is going on here is when I started looking more into Lovecraft and I found out that some of his writing material was on strange reptilian races that had bur- like basically burrowed into the hollow earth in the Tibet area. Yeah. And there are other accounts of this thing, not well, just but, but but I mean <laughs> just like think about that though. Think about what you just said though. Strange it's crazy. reptilian type beings who have burrowed, burrowed themselves into the Tibet area around Shambhala, right? Well, but, into but, the hollow earth. Into the hollow earth. But, you know, Tibet's supposed to be the, the capital of Shambhala. So if you take that same conceptual idea and you, you go to Mount Shasta and talk about the high vibrational beings there, and then look, with remote viewing data, we've seen that the, that strange reptilian beings have burrowed themselves into there. I mean, it's the same dang story it's the same thing and with that everyone on the next episode we're going to be getting into the strange reptilian ties all revolved around the mount shasta area and how they connect everywhere else and it gets even weirder if you can believe that because we haven't even hit saint germain which ties into a lot of this as well so Thank you guys for being with us here today. And uh, we will see you next time where we'll be getting into more around the reptilian people, the lizard people and this very strange articles we found as well in the LA times. So hold on your hats, everyone. We're kind of just getting started.